welcome to Of Monsters and Crime. My name is Jordan and I sure love murder. Welcome to episode number 12. Uh, wow, 12 episodes. I am pretty proud for what I've done so far. Um, it's me again, and thanks for sticking with me every other week through my craziness. Um, yeah, it's October, October 1st today. So I started off by drinking some wine, and um, I don't remember what kind it is. It was some kind of blend of like a Syrah and a... Uh, I don't know what it's called. It starts with a G, and I know it's not ganache, but it's something like that, because ganache is chocolate. Uh, but wine just wasn't doing it for me tonight, so I uh, switched over to beer for now. Um, I'm a little bit in pain right now. My... I opened the refrigerator and a can flew out and landed right on my foot and it fucking hurts and it hurts to like stand on it and walk so I'm thinking I like I don't know it bruised or popped a blood vessel or something but it's not uh, it's I'm uncomfortable right now so um that's that. I don't know how much I'll drink tonight. There's apparently this thing, which I've heard of it before, but Sober October. And uh, obviously I'm not participating currently. Um, before the podcast, I hardly ever drank. Like once a year, maybe. It just got hard for me to drink after like being pregnant and having kids and not drinking for a while. But since doing the podcast, I drink at least every other weekend, and um, but it's it's not it's not too crazy. I don't go overboard or anything. So uh, yeah, blah blah blah, just boring shit. I'm rambling on about. Um, shout outs to Five Gang as always. Uh, some TV and movies that I've been watching. Um, I honestly. Well, I've been watching Power. I've been trying to get through that. I think I'm on season four, a couple episodes into season four, um, and have been binging The Sopranos the past few days, uh, getting ready for the movie that actually comes out today. Uh, so I will be watching that after I record tonight. And... Um, I'm hoping it's good, but I've heard that it's disappointing and that sucks. But who knows? Maybe I'll like it. Uh, not really sure what else I've been watching. I haven't written anything down. My mind is blank right now. I cannot think of another show. It's just been Sopranos basically for the past three days straight. Um, 
I don't really have anything else to talk about that is of any kind of importance or um, anything interesting, really. So with that being said, I guess I can jump right into this week's murder. Uh, tonight, I am doing the Zanku chicken murders. Um I don't know how many of you have heard of that, but I know if you live in California, specifically the Los Angeles area, you have to know about Zanku Chicken. Maybe not the murders, but at least the restaurant. Um, so I got most of this uh, from an article from the Los Angeles Magazine from April 8th, 2008. And Zanku Chicken is legendary in Los Angeles. I've never been there, but I've heard about it and my mouth was watering just writing about this and it's going to be watering just thinking and talking about it tonight. Um, it just sounds so good. Um, so in Los Angeles, there's um, a city that's right behind the hill uh, that says Hollywood on it. So the Hollywood Hill right behind that mountain is Burbank and Glendale. And Glendale has the single largest population of Armenian people that isn't Armenia in the world. It's huge. And um, Armenians came there after there was a Turkish genocide, um, which I guess there are parades and flags um, in, you know, in that community. Um, that's what those parades and flags are about, the Turkish genocide and the Armenians, uh, you know, relocating to Glendale after, after all of that occurred. Um, so this restaurant, Zanku Chicken, was started originally in Beirut, Lebanon, by a man named Vark uh, Oh. And the pronunciation on this, if you're Armenian or just a little more cultured than I am, not a white girl, uh, it's probably going to offend you. <laughs> so his name was Varkas Eskandarian. Varkas Eskandarian. And his family started the first Zanku chicken in Beirut in 1962. Uh, then they brought it over uh, to the United States, the Los Angeles area, in 1983, and it was, um, the chain was actually opened by uh, Merderos, who, who was the son, um, and his parents just were not interested in having a restaurant in America. They wanted to do dry cleaning, maybe go into like the soup business. And they looked into all of these other businesses that were more kind of uh, reliable than a restaurant. But Merderos looked around and he saw how few Middle Eastern restaurants that there were um, with such huge populations of people that would appreciate the food. Uh, but there was almost no food to feed them that was like from their home country, like food that they, you know, had growing up in in their homes so 
They opened their first restaurant at the corner of Sunset in Normandy in East L.A., and the L.A. Times said it's the best roast chicken in town at any price, which is really kind of saying something um, for all those like shishi restaurants that they have there. And uh, the Zagat Guide would say that Zanku was one of America's best meal deals. Uh, America, not just L.A. Um, and Jonathan Gold, who is a very famous food writer, he adores Zanku chicken. He reviewed it, and he said that the chicken was superb, and nothing in heaven or on earth compares with the garlic paste. The garlic paste is what everybody talks about, and it was invented by Merdiros's grandmother, and his mother made it all by hand. So it was a secret recipe. Uh, people still don't know what's in it. Um, but it's this white paste that you get with your chicken and your rice and your hummus and your pita. And it just sounds amazing. And I need to go there. I, I need to. I need to check it out. So that was kind of their secret weapon, um, aside from the fact that they figured out that other rotisserie chicken places, like, they realized you have to move the chicken itself and you have to, like, play with the temperatures. You can't just keep it on one temperature all the time. Um, so they basically kind of went in there and tried to figure out how to give people who wanted to eat authentic Middle Eastern food, the best version of that food, and not just go like, here, here's whatever, uh, which is amazing. Um, apparently, uh, one time on Curb Your Enthusiasm, uh, Larry David referred to it as um, chicken so good it could end the rift in the Middle East. So like everybody in LA knows about this chicken. Um, I think it was also a Beck song. It definitely was a, in a Beck song. Um, I wouldn't do you like that. Sanku chicken. Yeah, his song, Deborah. Um, so yeah, it was LA, a, a very well-known restaurant in LA. So they started as this hole-in-the-wall chicken place. And after... Um, and after, I think, like, over two years, they were making $2 million a year, and half of that was pure profit. So they were doing obviously great. They were killing it. Um, so there were rumors. Um, oh, so in this article, this guy, Mark, who wrote the article, um, he starts out by talking about the Armenian culture and everything. And he says there's a saying that little old Armenian ladies say in Armenian, which is, let's sit crooked and talk straight. And I love that saying. That's like basically saying like, let's gossip. So what I'm trying to say is where's my co-host at? Where are you at? I want someone that I can 
talk to, I want to sit crooked and talk straight with somebody on this show every week, bullshit, back and forth. We don't even have to talk about murder. Let's just bullshit the whole time and see where it goes. Um, so, of course, in the Armenian community, uh, this family rose to prominence because they all of a sudden started making tons of money and their food was crazy popular, but they were also huge philanthropists and gave so much back. Um, so they were kind of famous within that community because um, they were a huge part of it. So there was gossip. Um, it was never confirmed that Pepsi was offering the company $30 million for the chain and the trademark. And this was when it was kind of peaking in its popularity. And at that same time, uh, even though Merderos's parents did not want to expand, uh, they just wanted to keep that one restaurant, the first shop. But he was like, like he, he kept fighting to expand. He's like, we have to do it. We have to do it. So finally, they agreed to split. And um, what they agreed to do was, um, I think it's, I think it's Merderos. Uh, I think, who knows if I'm pronouncing that correct. Uh, they agreed that he would take the concept and he would build the chain and any stores that he opened doing that, whether they failed or succeeded, would be completely on him. Because that's basically what the family was afraid of. Like, let's not lose all of our money. We've got a good thing. Let's just keep this thing going. And in return, uh, he would sign over his stake of the original in Hollywood um, to his parents and his two sisters. But they were still completely together as a family. Like, the garlic paste was still made by his mother at all of the Zankus. Um... I can't get over this woman, though. She was probably at the time in her, uh, like, I would say probably late 60s or early 70s. And they say in this article, um, they talk about how this mother, and I think her name was M Margaret. It probably has some kind of accent on it, but it's spelled with an R-I-T, Marguerite, maybe. Um, she got up at 7.30 every morning. She went into work and worked until 7 o'clock at night. And when she was done cooking for the restaurant, she would start cooking for the people that worked at the restaurant. Like, cook people food from home that they liked. Um, like, take a break, honey. But no. Nope, she couldn't do it. She was just obsessive. And um, it just sounds like a old traditional mother. Uh, wanting to take care of everybody, making sure that everybody is fed. Um, so Merderos would constantly say to the whole family, success means nothing if we don't stay as one. Greed must never rear its head. There's plenty for us all. And um, so he and uh, he had a sister. So he, he had two sisters, but uh, the one that they talk about, he um, she had two sons and they loved all of each other like they were cousins but they felt more like they were a fucking phone every single time um they they were friends they were i mean they were cousins but they 
were so close. They were all very close. And in fact, um, so he had four boys. I'm not sure if I said that. He had four boys. She had two sons. And um, his wife was quoted saying, before we married, he told me, I'm going to live with my parents my whole life. I will never leave my mother. Um, she was queen of the house, not me. So basically next to God, it was his mother. So just to give you a sense of that. Um, so Merderos is diagnosed, I believe, in like 2001, I think, or so. Um, I don't have the date because I don't, I do research, but fuck it if I'm going to get all those details, you know, I just get the minimum just to get by and hope that it's good enough and somebody will correct me if they know the answer or, or not. Um, so he, um, is diagnosed with an inoperable bladder and brain cancer. So he basically felt like he, he knew something was wrong. He had pains in places, but he didn't go to the doctor. He avoided it. So by the time he went in, it had spread. So he holds a family meeting and he tells his mother and his sister and his wife that he's dying. And um, that when he dies, he wants the Zanku business to go to his four sons. Now, the problem there is that his four sons were at the time and had been for a couple of years fuck ups uh, in ways where like the oldest son had been caught trying to cheat on a law school entrance exam yeah, motherfucker. I should just turn my phone off. Um, because I know every single episode there is something in the background and I never acknowledge it, but I'm acknowledging it today. Um, so, uh, yeah, he was caught trying to cheat on a law school entrance, entrance exam. Um, he had been a top student at Woodbridge University, and so he basically got kicked out and was, like, barred from ever taking the test because um, because he was going to cheat. So after that, he became an evangelical Christian. He was, like, one of those guys that stands on the street. Um, and then the second oldest son was tried for attempted murder when the pimp of the sex worker that he had just visited stole money from him and he ended up chasing him uh, up the freeway and shooting at his car and he ended up getting uh, tried for attempted murder. And it turned out to be a mistrial. So, you know, he never had to go to jail, but of course there's still that mark. Um, and you know, this is the richest family in the community and shit like this starts popping off and everyone's talking about it. Um, and then the two younger kids, younger sons were basically just on drugs, but all four of them were like fuck ups. Um, so when he makes this announcement, the room goes silent, um, because he's saying they're the ones that should get it. And his sister and his mother are both just staring at him his mother sat stone-faced, um, stone, stone-faced, or stoned. She could have been stoned. Um, that would be cool if she was stoned. But she 
was in this story was sitting there stone-faced um and she didn't ask what kind of cancer he had or the prognosis that the doctors gave him instead she blurted out in armenian your sons the shadow they cast are not yours and then she got up and walked up the stairs and shut the door and she wouldn't speak to him after that um she would continue to get up at 7.30 every morning, go to work, come home. They'd be like standing in the kitchen. She'd get a glass of water and go upstairs and shut the door. Like your son's dying as he was getting chemotherapy and losing his hair. Um, he ended up losing 60 pounds. He was dying of cancer. Silent treatment. It's really sad and really fucked up, um, but it's very old country. Um, it's how some people are, and it's hard. Um, obviously, I think knowing, at least based on what the wife says, um, the relationship that he had with his mother, like this was breaking him. He was definitely a mama's boy. I mean, he had plans to live with her forever. It was just terrible, and it was breaking him. So after a year of the silent treatment, a year, he went into his mother's room, and he took down, um, like, there was a picture of him as a child in Beirut um, with her when he was, like, four years old that she had kept on her dresser. So he took it out. He took the picture out. He ripped it in half, and he burned the half with her on it, and he crumpled up the half with him and threw it away and put the frame back up. And two days later, their house catches on fire. Um, him and his wife almost get caught in the house. Um, they have to get rescued by firemen. Um, but the house burns down. And the mother takes, you know, her stuff, what, whatever what was left, and moves in with the sister. So she's gone. Uh, we don't know how the house catches on fire, but as he's going into his sickness, um, I'm sure on tons of painkillers and just overall in a weird place, he's telling his son, Steve, that the fire is his mother's doing and that she knew, uh, based on what he did to the picture that, um, that it was her he knew based so she, she knew what he had done to the picture and based on that he's saying that it was her um so yeah he's hallucinating basically and saying that it was somehow her doing um he believed that his mother and sisters were plotting against him it's everybody's worst nightmare um so it's like so this is really what it comes down to really at the end. So Steve having to hear this and of course loving his grandmother and being in the middle of it says to his father, can't you ever forgive her? And Merdiros was quoted as saying, God will forgive the devil before I can forgive my mother, which is pretty harsh. Um, and then he said, because... Uh, this is a mother, not a devil, which is super sad. 
And it's like, yeah, ultimately your mother turned her back on you when you were in your worst place. That's hard to take in. Um, And also it's that thing of, I'm sure after years and years of busting her ass to make this restaurant work, he was going to come in and be like, here's how it's going to happen. My kids are going to take over when I die. Um, So it's like giving bad news and then bad news. Um, And, you know, it also could be like, you know how some people get mad at someone who's sick because it's easier than the sadness that you can feel. Um, So she might have been mad at him that she had to watch her son die. And it's a thousand percent easier to do that, to be mad, than to deal with it. It's a stage of grief. um, And it's hard, I'm sure, watching your child die because uh, children are not supposed to die before their parents. And um, I know this um, well, (laughs) not quite on this level, but, you know, parents are not supposed to watch their children die. They're supposed to die before their children. So, you know, it's a stage of grief. And when someone else has a disease, then it's all about them and how hard it is for them. Um, You can't be mad at them. um, But, you know, I'm sure she had tons of guilt. And it was just this impacted problem. Uh, So on January 14th, 2003, uh, Merderos, who had been bedridden and was dying, gets out of bed, puts on a white silk suit that he hadn't worn in 20 years. Um, He gets a nine millimeter handgun and a 38 caliber revolver and walks down the stairs of his house. Um, His wife, Rita, like could not believe what she was seeing and she said for a man so near death cancer everywhere he looked beautiful which is heartwarming um so he's having uh some weird like last stuff um but later on in the article like he does not have that outfit on um So they think that she's remembering it because it's this crazy moment and she's remembering him basically as his beautiful young self that she fell in love with Uh, because it's a really beautiful story, um, but they lived across the street from each other in Beirut and he was 19 and she was 12. that is not when it started, so don't be freaked out. Don't be grossed out. That's not when it started, but that's when she first noticed him. Um, so, like, it's actually very sweet. And, um, like, when she got older, so she was 18 and he was, like, 26, they started dating. So it's very sweet. Like, she was in love with him all her life or most of her, you know, childhood, teenage years. It's like, you know, I'm sure you've all had that 
neighbor or somebody at school who you just were totally in love with that was completely like way older than you. I know I did. I'm sure you all did too. Um, but it's just a sweet story. So she was just in love with him all her life. And um, so that's their story. So she says to him, you're too weak to go anywhere. Please go back to bed. And he said, I feel better. Don't worry. I'm just going to go down to Zanku and see an old friend. And so she was like, all right, I'll see you soon. But he didn't go to Zanku. He went to his sister's house. So the housekeeper lets him in. He sits at the table. Um, she gives him lemonade. And then his sister comes downstairs and she... Uh, she was in the shower. She had just gotten out of the shower. They sit and have a pleasant conversation. They share some lemonade. And then Margaret or Marguerite, um, I should pick a name and stick to it. But the mother, she comes home from work. Uh, it's around 2 p.m. and she greets him. She says hello to the daughter first and then she says hello to him. Um, she puts her stuff down, she sits at the table, and the housekeeper goes downstairs to her apartment because she knows that they need to talk to each other, like, in a desperate way. Um, this has been a long time coming. So she gives them their privacy. They talk for about five minutes, and it's just normal chit-chat. And then he reaches into his waistband for his gun, and he shoots his sister across the table, point blank. And then his mother screams and runs for the door. And he runs after her and he blocks the door. He uh, stands in front of her like 15 feet away from the door. And he raises the gun. And in Armenian, she says, don't shoot me, please. And he shoots her eight times. He shoots her once. She goes down to the ground and then he stands over her and shoots her seven more times. Yeah. So he looks around the room and he sees his 23-year-old nephews on the stairs just frozen. And he just turns around. He goes over into the living room, sits on the couch, and shoots himself in the head. So now... Rita, the wife, um, at least at the time of this article, had to be in charge of all the Zankus. And it was this whole, like they were in court about the trademark and who owned the rights. It's this huge thing. That poor woman, um, after years of taking care of her sick husband, that's fucking stressful as hell. And raising four boys who are fuck-ups who were rich kids, and she was a very traditional kind of old school wife where she didn't work, she stayed home, she was a housewife, and she took care of that family. And uh, suddenly just got thrown into this. Um, like, I would never want to raise rich kids. Like, that's not anything I've experienced with. You know, I have no experience with growing up as a rich kid. Um, so, like, they're having a whole life that I don't even understand. Um, so then, after taking care of her sick, dying husband, 
this happens and she has to go and uh, be in charge of so much shit she doesn't expect to be in charge of. So that's the rough story behind the best restaurant in LA. Um, I think the family still owns it, but I'm not quite sure. Uh, once the murder part was over in this article, like it goes on forever. It was the longest fucking article. So like talking about all, it talked about all of that. Um, so I figure if people are super interested in who owns the rights to Sanku Chicken, like you can go for it. Um, but I don't give a fuck. So, basically, um, my stomach is growling and I need to go to L.A. and get some chicken and garlic paste because that sounds fucking delicious. Um, but man, what a messy, bloody scene to clean up to. Like, that housekeeper was bummed. Stop it, Jordan. Um, but I liked that one. I liked it because uh, that's my story. That's it. That's that's the end. Um, it was a short one tonight as opposed to last week. That was like three times as long. But, you know, I got to switch it up. Um, but I liked that one. I liked it because there was food, <laughs> delicious food that I got to describe. It wasn't all tragedy. Um, good food talk. Well, well, we've done it again. Um, that is my story and that, um, it was short and sweet and to the point and it wasn't too crazy, but it's really sad because it was, you know, the family, um, the mother and the son who were so close and, just how this whole thing ended was very, very tragic. Um, so that's my story. And uh, I guess I'm going to plug my places tonight. I don't really plug them very often. But Twitter, you can follow me at... At... Fuck. No, it's not at fuck. It's at of monsters crime. Um, and on Instagram at of monsters and crime and, uh, the website is of monsters and which takes you basically just to the, uh, podcast, uh, feed. So there's that. Uh, rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If they allow you to rate, review, and subscribe, do it, please. Um, if you would like to become a patron, um, the link for that is www.patreon.com slash of monsters and crime. And of course, as always, there's the email address that you can write into if you want to be my friend and chat with me on the podcast going forward, we can talk about anything and everything. 
and we can laugh and we can cry and we can get drunk and maybe do some other things. I don't know. Um, of monsters and crime at gmail.com. Uh, and thank you if you've already done any of that, um, followed me or subscribed or rate, reviewed or become a patron. I appreciate it so much. Um, and everyone, tell your dad about this podcast. Please tell your dad if he's really chill with the F word, tell him. If he's not, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mention it because um, I do use the F word and other words on occasion. Uh, tell your dad, tell your mom, tell your sister, tell everyone. Uh, I think that's it. So thank you so much for listening. It's really lovely. And until next time, goodbye.